to Soundtrack Showdown, our monthly podcast where we take two soundtracks, compare them across five rounds and declare an overall winner. Hi guys, welcome in once again to Soundtrack Showdown, where this month we're going back to the world of TV, aren't we, Ella? Oh, yes, we are, and these are epic ones that we're going to be discussing, aren't they? We are going to be talking about Game of Thrones, guys. And American Gods. Like, normally we, like, fumble around for a while before we get to the spoiler alert, but I, I reckon this time, like, we're not mucking about, guys. Like, Game of Thrones is finished, so we know what happens, we know everything that happens. American Gods, I mean, it's a book, so plenty of people have read it. We've at least seen both seasons. I've seen both seasons. Yeah. How are you up to date? Yeah, so we're, we're just going to spoiler as we go, because I think with these TV series in general, particularly Game of Thrones, you just, you can't not. <laughs> And if you haven't watched it by now, at least some of it, I mean, you know, what are you doing? What, what are you doing with your life? Hey, okay, <laughs> I didn't get into Game of Thrones myself at least five years into it, okay? So, really? I, yeah, so um, I really... Can I ask what made you, what made you having, like, not been on the train? What, what made <laughs> you decide to do it at that point? So what made me not be on the sort of bandwagon to begin with? I don't know. I just, you know what? I remember once when I, when I was working at a live music venue and like mm -hmm. one of the co-workers came in and they were like talking about Game of Thrones and I was just like completely not engaged with it at all. And then all of a sudden he started doing like, oh my God, I can't believe you haven't, you're not watching Game of Thrones. Like, it's so amazing. It's so cool. And the theme tune, and then you start singing the do, 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 do. And I was just looking at him in awe and like, no, this is totally not my kind of thing. Like he was telling me how yeah. he's got full of magic and dragons and it's set in the medieval times. And I was just like, no, I'm more into like modern, like sure. Sex and the City type, you know, yep. Frasier type yeah. TV shows. <laughs> like, Game of Thrones time. does not fit into the general echelon as Sex and the City and Frasier. I'll give you that. <laughs> they, they are not the same thing. Yeah, and then it's just like, I don't know. And then I can't remember what made me decide to get into it. Oh, I no, know. I know. Right. No, no, I'll tell you, you know what? The first two episodes, I couldn't get into it. Then mm -hmm. I had to set it aside. And then I basically skipped over to the fifth episode and that's when I kind of went or got on the train oh. and kind of like pretty, pretty much binge watched it all the way through um, five years later. But yeah, I just found like the first two episodes, I couldn't get involved and it was just a little bit, obviously it was it was slow, I was introducing the characters and there's, all this, yeah. there's so many storylines and back sort of locations to um, cover. but. That's why I had to skip through like halfway into the season one to actually really fully be like, oh, okay, now this is where the action's coming through, like all this backstabbing and all the conspiracy building, and yeah. Interesting. And then from there, you were were hooked. you hooked or were you just like, oh, you're hooked? Okay, and then you just 
you just went out the whole way. Yeah, and then I was caught on the hall, you know, waiting for every week for that next episode and just getting, having that anxiety of like, oh my God, oh my God, what's going mm. to happen? Who's going to die and stuff? And it's exciting. I think it's really nice when you get um, sort of caught into one of those TV shows. It's like reading a really exciting book. Like you mm -hmm. get so invested that you just can't wait until the next series comes out. Absolutely. And I think at its best, which probably was through around seasons three through six, Game of Thrones really had that going on because you, you just you didn't know what was going to happen and you were invested and it was, yeah, I, I don't think that experience has been much better in television, to be honest. Mm. And what about you? Did you actually start right from the get-go? Yes, sort of. I remember seeing the very first episode, more or less the week that it came out in the US, and I watched it and I was like, eh, that's all right. Yeah, it was all right, exactly. It wasn't, like, mind-blowing. No, it's got the kind of the big shock ending and stuff. It, like, kind of subsequent. I think, weirdly, subsequently, I think more highly of that first episode than I did at the time. Mm. And then I think maybe a week or so later, I watched it with some other friends who had also... Th gotten it and we're sitting down like, hey let's watch this new game of thrones thing people are saying good things about it and i thought okay well i mean this is all right and then i sort of kept watching um week to week at that point and it was probably around week five or six it was the episode and this is where we just get straight into the spoilers it's the episode with the golden crown i think it's called the golden crown the one where Drogo kills Viserys. Was that one of the ones you missed? <laughs> uh, no, that's exactly the same where I kind of got more engaged. I was just kind of like, ooh, okay. no, this is really interesting. Yeah, that was, that was probably the episode slash the moment. I think that's when Game of Thrones... I mean, okay, I think technically the pushing Bran out the window is when Game of Thrones first showed its hand of, like, crazy things happening. But it didn't feel weird in the first episode, whereas for some reason that particular death of Viserys, it, it felt shocking and it, it to me that was the tone of what Game of Thrones was going to be for mm. so long. And then, yeah, absolutely from then on I was a week-to-week watch it as it came out um, kind of guy. How did you feel about the finale? The entire final series I was disappointed by, mm -hmm. pretty much. How about you? Yeah, same. And I think that is the legacy of Game of Thrones, is people who became fans through its kind of heyday, then in various degrees feeling disappointed by the ending and just being like, oh, well, it's over. <laughs> I don't know if there's much more we can say. Shall we talk to American Gods? <laughs> well, yeah, what did you think about American Gods then? So American Gods is almost the exact opposite, right? Because American Gods, you sit down and you watch and it's got that incredibly splashy opening episode. I honestly think it is one of the best single hours of television I've seen. Mm -hmm. Like it is brash, it's bold, and it just puts itself out there like crazy imagery. It's completely over the top, and it but it kind of works and it draws you in. And it's fantastic. It kind of gently goes downhill from there, partly because it has to, because I don't think it, anything could sustain that sort of... How about you? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much binge-watched um, American Gods when it first came out, like, but mainly because like, all the episodes were pretty much available after the uh, first... yeah. And um, I just remember watching it on the train you know, on the way to work and stuff. And I just, I just really enjoyed. There's a lot of nudity. How was that on the train? <laughs> oh, I, I don't care what people thought. It's just kind of like, yeah. hey, <laughs> good morning. That yeah. sort of thing. 
Um, I'd, I'd like the whole mythology of it because when I was younger, I used to always read up about like the Egyptian and Greek gods and the Norse gods. So there was something that I really, it was, um, I re- liked reading up about them and the fact that there was a TV show about them. I was just kind of like, ooh, let's see how they've been um, integrated into society and like, what is this book by Neil Gaiman? Um, yeah, had you read no. either American Gods or any of the other Neil Gaiman stuff before? No, unfortunately. Although I probably should. I'll give it a go after. I've got a whole pile of books I need to get through this year, to be honest. Yeah. So <laughs> it'll be on my to-do list, on my to-do, my to-read list. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I just... And one thing that really stood out to me, more so than the Game of Thrones, was the music. Mm-hmm. Because there's not that much dialogue. I mean, there is dialogue in conversations between characters, etc. But um, when there isn't... The music really kind of drove. It was really like very vivid and very colourful. And I just remember hearing, like, thinking about how the use of the, I think it's a trumpet that made, it was just the the interesting use of it. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But that was for me because um, Brian Wrightsell, um, mm-hmm. he's also the composer for Hannibal, and I remember distinctly. The music for Hannibal as well. Well, I think I think we're getting a firm impression as to where you may go on some of these rounds. No, 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 no. I mean, no. I'm just oh, saying. Oh, just general impressions. Just, of the music. just yeah, okay. just general impressions of the music for me. Just like compared to, like, uh, like the the rounds that we're going to be discussing. You know, I might go completely the opposite way. Um, oh, but as an overall, it's uh, yeah, I just okay. kind of just associate American Gods more so with elaborate deck like a multicultural fusion of music okay yeah what rounds are we going to be talking then this one has been hard to decide rounds but we have done our best and we are going to be talking about in round one the main theme nice and easy because they've both got pretty banging main themes round two characters so music for characters round three songs Round four, musical storytelling sequences, which is basically a way of saying like a, a long period of the TV show that's driven by a particular piece of music. And then finally, we're going to talk about their legacy. So we'll be right back with round one. If you like what you hear and you like to keep track of our monthly podcast so you don't ever miss one, then please subscribe to our Soundtrack Showdown channel. You can find it on all the podcast channels on iTunes, Stitcher and other ones as well. And feel free to leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And if you want to talk to us, reach out to us on social media. We're on most of the major platforms at tristellamusic.com. Let's talk about main themes. Let's get to Game of Thrones. And obviously, we're listening to the main theme.
that's the uh, main theme for Game of Thrones by Ramin Djawoudi, German composer. His first big uh, break, which was actually unsuccessful, was the first Iron Man movie. Oh, was Obviously, it? the movie was successful, but a lot of people really disliked the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. interesting. I know he did yeah. Clash of the Titans as well, the remake mm. of it, and I was a bit like, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's had mixed success, I think, in movies, but on TV, yeah, TV. he's done very well. I, oh, totally. I mean, like, I absolutely love, love, love the Westworld main title mm-hmm. for it. I mean, yeah, I like, think that's even better. Mm, it's yeah. just so cool, and um, so many emotions into it. But... Anyway, um, yes, Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Thrones, back to Game of Thrones. Yes, this uh, this is a cracker. This is a, a really, really strong theme, and it goes with a really, really iconic sequence, which I'm going to go out there and say is perhaps the most influential and memorable opening title to anything since Star Wars. Okay. Okay. A Bond movie. Uh, Bond movies have all those like old the Saul. Well, no, Saul Bass was the old. Um, uh, Hitchcock movies, but all them too would have these huge, like, graphical set pieces before they got into it. And yeah, it was really tapping into that sort of old cinema feel, um, which which works and it is phenomenal. And I, I love the fact that every episode they change up the map a bit to mm. base on what's going to be in that episode. So it's it's clever and it's effective, and the music is so so good. Mm-hmm. So much so that a couple of years ago, I even made a YouTube video explaining it all. Uh, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes because uh, that will cover off all of the musical side of it because there's a lot of interesting, like, quirks musically. And it's it. a really good listen as well. I had to listen to it, so I really enjoyed it. So I highly recommend to anybody else to give it a go. Oh, oh thanks. <laughs> <laughs> a little plug there for you. Yeah, a little, a little plug for my uh, long-dead YouTube channel. <laughs> but, um, but no, no, it's, yeah. yeah we, we, I definitely go into a lot of greater detail there than I ever could here, so, so that is useful. I, I love how uh, how much momentum there is in in this theme. It has that sort of like rotating wheel like thing going on, yeah. which goes so well with the way that the graphics sort of unroll, and because they're all like gear run graphics, so it it just fits it so well. And the, but it also then there's that recurring theme through the whole show about like the like the rulership being the wheel and breaking the wheel and all of those things. Mm-hmm. So I have this sort of like spinning wheel type theme just sort of makes sense and when it it probably comes in during the show uh, not many times maybe half a dozen times but every time when it does that rotating kind of a sound works Mm, for mm. for the various scenes so i i like that i yeah i really like it as well i mean when i once i finally did manage to watch the tv show i got i understood what my co-worker was like singing about and i was like oh that motif i was like that okay you know when the first when the solo cello comes in mm-hmm. and you know and then the solo violin comes in and then when the full orchestra comes in with a scandinavian choir and it's just like it's uh it's so epic and yeah what i find really interesting is like he was actually told to avoid flutes and to over like mainly flutes and woodwinds because like they they felt that it was too overused in fantasy soundtracks and stuff. So mm-hmm. that was one of his sort of um, suggestions, instructions, instructions yeah. yeah, by the producers. And so he decided to lead the fantasy thing with a cello. And I love the cello. I love mm-hmm. how it conveys a lot of darkness and can be so melancholic and uh, sad. And But it's very poetic as well. And yeah. yeah, so it's just, it was 
you know, it's very emotional and it's full of moodiness and weight. And I think it's the perfect instrument for Game of Thrones because it touches on all of those tropes and those sort of themes, you know, of it being very melancholic, sort of yeah. emotionally driven, sort of dark. Yeah, exactly. It, it works so well and having it front and centre in the... Uh, in in the main theme is good because it is then such a central instrument in the rest of the soundtrack. So it kind of gets you used to the sound of the cello yeah. off the start of the episode and then carries through. Sorry, go on. And the main thing is the fact that it's very recognisable and hummable, you know, which is yep. what you want uh, in order for people, in order to try an outreach to other people, you know, as my coworker tried to do, um, yep. but failed at the time. <laughs> but you know, if anybody else, like, I think that is the main goal of like TV shows nowadays is that you have to make a really me- re- memorable theme, theme that people can hum and sing to. And then people would be like, oh, what's that? It's like, oh, it's from this amazing TV show. You need to watch it sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of like a new way of marketing. It's true. It's true. And uh, notably, that's different from one of the big TV shows immediately, kind of before Game of Thrones, or immediately before, but probably one of the, the first big you know, event TV, TV shows of Lost, where its theme was basically just like a hum and a bit of static. Mm. That's that's all it was. That was its sonic signature. And at that point, I mean, that was bold and it was brave and it was seen as, you know, this is effective and something that everyone should do. But, yeah, then I think Game of Thrones kind of blew that away by being like, no, no, old school works better. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Well, then shall we move on to American Gods? I think so. Here, let's hear the main theme by was it Brad Reitzel. Brian Reitzel, yes. So that's another cracking main main theme. Mm-hmm. No matter what you normally listen to, no matter what is kind of your your musical home, as it were, that is always going to come across as somewhat startling and brash and different from whatever it is you're used to. Oh yeah, no, totally. Um, but my only sort of comment would be that the opening thing actually resembles um led zeppelin's immigrant song but more so the trent reznor and carano's version like when they did it was it was this track that they did for um david fincher's 
the dragon tattoo yeah. the 2011 film because if you compare like his so this is the their version It has that similar sort of driving bass and driving drums mm -hmm. and stuff and that sort of acceleration. But still that vocal. Yeah. And also, yeah, exactly. The Carano is like that. Ah. It's very similar to, particularly as you get closer to the totem. I, I assume Brian was actually inspired by the original. And so he took elements of the updated version, um, such as the drum beat and driving bass to make it his own. Um, but that's something that I think a lot of people have kind of com compared it to. Um, yeah, I think it gets really obvious at the end. I mean, particularly like, yeah, because it, it's as it comes onto the totem. So it's as it comes on Woden's Raven. And given that the song is all about like... Norse uh, mythology. Exactly. It's it's a fairly obvious link. And it's probably the thing that I least like about it as a theme. Because I think, I think between Dragon Tattoo and this and a couple of things that Jack Black has done, the Immigrant Song has started to get almost a little bit overused. It's the sort of song that can't be overused because the whole point of it is the shock value of that opening lyric slash riff in particular. And so you can't associate it with too many things without it starting to get diluted. And I feel like it is in, it's in that t zone now where it's at danger. And like most of those cases, it makes sense because it is specifically talking about Norse scandinavian thing so i can see why they're or just general it. immigration which is basically what the film is pretty much about yeah. like all these gods immigrating from their homes to the usa it is it is it is perfect but uh yeah i'm just i'm on the fence on it to be honest mm. i i've got it down here is that the whole thing feels to me like a skrillex remix of um, <laughs> of immigrant song okay which i guess is coming to a, a similar territory to where you're saying with the trent Reznor version yeah yeah that um, is, it has that sort of industrial element to it yeah and because it, it bounces around quite a bit early on yeah and it's got a lot of kind of uh shall i say non-musical sounds uh, but that's what i love about on. it you know i love yeah. how you know as it ascends like with the visuals of the ancient myths and gods to then more to more modern technology like the music adapts um as of when we see the hindu god ganesha sort of figure yes and and then i love the use of the word when like i said the trumpet like to kind of almost signify an elephant's call and then mm. it's quite exotic sounding and then when it goes up further up to the next level it's more technology based more edm even though it has that sort of little um techno vibe with a little synth hits do you know that, that did it it just just even those that little bit just really makes such an impact you know I, I, so we're just, not in the same room i can hear you smiling while you say this yeah <laughs> but do you know what i mean it's like uh it, it has that sort of real driving force it's like a conveyor belt the whole sequence is very haunting and alluring mm. as, as well as when the female voices come in with their little moments you know where it has a sort of a sexy industrial feel to it yeah, when it gets to the kind of like the strip club kind of a bit yeah, towards the end. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, even just listening to it without seeing the visuals in front of it, you can kind of pinpoint exactly what visual goes to each moment. You're right, because it signposts it with those little subtle, clever turns all the way through. It's a very, a very, very intricate 
main theme mm. in terms of all of those little details. But also I love how you can spend a long time deciphering that main title yep. sequence, what and how each totem relates to which god and how it relates mm -hmm. to our society, what sort of like um, commentary is it meant to be. And there's so much subtext and symbolism to be explored that I always feel like I'm discovering something new each time I watch it. In terms of like the best main title theme. Oh God, this is going to be hard. Go on, Tristan. Tell me what you think. Uh, I mean, there's no bad choice here, but I'm going to go with Game of Thrones in that, I mean, how many amazing composers have been told over the years, oh, can you go off and write a main theme for this? It's going to be like recognizable, hummable. Everybody will remember it. Everybody will immediately recognize it. And it's just going to transcend the thing. Like how many, like every one of the great composers has been told to do that. Mm -hmm. Very, very few have managed to write one as effective as that. Like it is, it is in, without question in the top five most memorable themes to anything ever written. Mm -hmm. It's, it's spectacular. And it's written by this, you know, this, this guy who hadn't really established himself yet for this TV show. And I think it is one of the unsung heroes, well, not that unsung, but it's, it's one of the main heroes as to why Game of Thrones was such a big, success yeah no i agree i mean i would have loved to have gone for the american gods theme but the fact that it doesn't really have a hummable it's mm. a motif and i think you can enjoy it more with the visuals i think because game of thrones has been parodied it's been covered so much yeah. that it kind of shows its sort of weight and yep. It's staying in, power. And influence as well in our mm -hmm. society, particularly like in our music community. So I just think that, yeah, I would probably go for Game of Thrones purely for the main titles. You know, it's hard, mm -hmm. but it has more weight to it than American Gods. Yeah. All right. I did not expect we would agree on that. That is a victory <laughs> to Game of Thrones for round one, main teams. That is a, that is a big round to win. Let's move on to round two, characters. So this was this was where it got really, really, really difficult to start choosing, um, because Game of Thrones has so many themes that go with particular characters or families of characters and things like that, and American Gods doesn't <laughs> so much, but. We've, we've gone with two that are as similar as we possibly can. Um, and it's probably not one of the themes that people are really expecting us to talk about for Game of Thrones. And it is the track um, from se the season two soundtrack called Vala Morghulis, which we first hear when Jack and Hagar tells Arya that she can order three deaths for saving him.
See, this is a perfect example where I feel like I didn't really get any themes watching really? Game of Thrones. No, because again, I was so engrossed and just trying to pay attention and understand um, who's backstabbing who and like what the, mm -hmm. like what's going to happen and like because you know it goes from one location to another and just having to try and maintain the momentum of understanding like how do these mm. um, characters and how do these plots connect um, and also remembering from previous episodes okay so Daenerys what does she do in, in her last episode and how does this relate that this is her next step and her quest to get to Westeros so do you know what I mean it's just like I didn't really pay attention to, to the music as much yeah so when you showed me a list for tracks to listen for this round I was a bit like yeah. oh I didn't realize that Arya had actually theme and then obviously when I yeah. listened to it I was like oh okay yeah no I can see it but it was just lost for me okay okay that's interesting but that's just um, me I'm sure many other people probably disagree and actually got the what do you call it they probably um, I'm sure other people pay attention to the music as much as they did to the show. Yeah, I mean it's an interesting one. Obviously, this I I am not one of these people, but this is one of those shows that a lot of people would watch. Like they'd watch an episode like three or four times to unpack all of the details and try and pick up all of the hints and Easter eggs and bits and pieces like that. I feel like the music was at a level that it could support that because it does use what we've talked about before so many times light motifs the idea of particular motifs attached to characters to give added depth of meaning to things um but it doesn't overuse them either it doesn't really try and give too much plot away but it, it, it'll put them there and this is probably one of the more interesting themes for that in that it was portraying a sometimes hidden character this, this Vala Morghulis sound it starts first with being sort of Jack and Hagar's theme and then it becomes Arya's theme later on. So, but early on, it's very much because Jack and Agar can like appear as anyone. But you knew it was him when you heard this music. And I think for a lot of people like you, they, you didn't really notice it, but you probably felt it when it happened. So you probably did trigger in your mind, oh, that's Jack and Hagar doing this. And you probably couldn't quite put your finger onto, oh, why did I know that that was that? And it was because you were hearing this, uh, this instrument, this symbol on, which is that sort of plucking string sound, which kind of really gave it away because it's a very exotic and different sound from all the cellos and, and bits in the rest of the soundtrack. And then you later hear it whenever anything about um, Bravos is mentioned. So Bravos is the place where um, Arya's swordmaster is from and it's where the Red Woman is from, Melisandre. So whenever she does something, you tend to also hear the, the symbol on. When, when Arya goes to Bravos later on, you hear the symbol on. So it becomes kind of, that instrument becomes Bravos, but this particular theme becomes sort of Jack and Hagar, Arya, assassination in general. Um, it first, and to get into the nerdy part of it, it first becomes Arya's theme, I think, season six, episode eight, after she's been training in Bravos for quite a while, and they have the whole conversation about who are you, I... I am no one. And then one time he asks her, who are you? And rather than saying no one, she says, I'm Arya of House Stark. And then the music immediately plays this tune, but in strings, the way the Stark theme is played.
this theme in the strings becomes Arya's theme. To the point that in season eight, episode three, the the massive long night fight, when she's uh, this is before the the Night Kings, early on when she's sort of fighting on the ramparts against all of the things, you hear this theme in this version this way. sounds like it's very matured version now so you kind of there i can i see what you mean as you broke it down that there is a sort of uh the discovery then there's this called the the birth of aria's theme and then yeah the sort of because aria the assassin now because she's sort of like she's absorbed the the this assassin theme into her own soundscape she's taken it from the bravos mm-hmm. exotic symbol on sound but she's now declaring oh but i'm no but i'm aria of stark so she brings it back and the music does that which i think is really clever and really it cool. is yeah it is very clever i just wish that Maybe it was, it was it was used more. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Or a, li- a little bit more prominent. I don't know. Do you guys yeah. agree? Do you, you like? Was it prominent enough, or am I just not, just not having been t- paying attention? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I agree. I, feel- I don't think you would be alone in not having picked that up. Because um. that you know that little Arya's bit when she's fighting um, the White Walkers or like the mm. goon, goon, the zombies. Um, yep. It's such a real sort of like power-driven like female empowerment moment um that mm-hmm. y- you wouldn't i wish you, it would have been so much more recognizable yeah so then moving on to american gods yeah it's a little bit tougher with american gods because they don't do character themes in quite the same way um although they do definitely do character sounds but this is I a think good they, one they do location sounds and they kind of yes. it's kind of like they do location and maybe their country that whether they were based from very mm. well but not necessarily individual characters like not like anessi he but when, when he's on screen and you hear the music that accompanies him you know that that's that's not exactly a theme but you know that that is representing where his background is from where his origi- origins are from i'm glad you mentioned that because that was the one i was hoping to find because yes you're you're 100% right like his his theme turns up all the time when he's around the place and it is really clear and it's really obvious and in fact it's quite similar in its sound in a way to the Valamagulus because it has that kind of deliberate exoticism and that's Mm -hmm. what makes it really stand out whenever it comes on it's not on the soundtrack album what (laughs) at all that's rubbish the hell exactly (laughs) exactly how is that possible why would you not include all the music into the soundtrack for people to I know, to. right? So we would be talking about that, except someone didn't put it on the album. Huh. Uh, <laughs> All righty. Well, that, that's, that's a missed opportunity there. Anyway. Exactly. I, I would love to talk about that. Instead, we're talking about Mad, Mad Sweeney's theme. <laughs> <laughs> so, and here it is, which is called Out of Time. 
So th- this is a, a a nice brash introduction to the, the character mm. of, of Mad Sweeney. Yeah, because when you get introduced, when you look at Mad Sweeney, like him as a character, um, even though he refers to himself as a leprechaun, he actually, he's not a leprechaun. He's some kind of a, like an Irish king. Um, yeah. So from the myths and legends who goes mad of some sort. Um, yeah. And people, like he used to be worshipped by his people. He was the Sun King or something. That's what they talk about in season two. Yeah. And um, so with the music, it reflects this sort of like alcoholic smoking. So sort of don't mm-hmm. give a don't give a damn about, you know, anybody yep. but myself sort of thing because leprechauns are kind of meant to be a bit of tricksters you know you can't really trust him and the music yep. kind of makes you feel that way that he's not to be trustworthy which is important because this comes in that first scene where he's there where literally the first thing he does when he arrives is tell shadow moon you can't trust wednesday mm-hmm and so I think a lot of the point of this as a theme is to kind of be like, well, you, tr- you can't trust this guy, so you yeah. can probably trust Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Like, it, yeah, th- there is definitely a touch of that, um, yeah, of, like, untrustfulness um, to it. You feel swaying. You feel like when you're drunk, like you, everything, when you, when, you get, mm. when you have a bit too much to drink, everything slows down. Everything becomes a yep. little bit quite slurry, and the music really kind of has that element to it. Yep. Do you know what I mean? It's got that, yeah, it's got that touch of cabaret about it as well. Yeah. A, a little bit like that uh, Toxic Love track from um, yeah, Fern Gully. Exactly. That yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same, yeah, that same sway. Yeah, yep. Def- definitely. And again, you know, with I don't think it's played every time Mad Swinney's in the scene, but... Nothing is. As a, but, yeah. as an intro- but as an introduction to the character, I think it, it's, uh, it hits the nail on the head pretty yeah. well. All right, so winners. Well, for me, I, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. Uh, I go for the Mad Sweeney. I am going to go with Valamogoulos because I guess I heard that transition and you didn't, which is the main reason why our votes have gone the ways they have. Round three. Songs. Well... I definitely remember songs from American Gods, uh, Game of Thrones. I, I missed them. I, when I was watching, I did not pay attention at all. Oh, wow. So I pop on Ed Sheeran because obviously, like, how could you not recognize that? Yes. That, so that I'm thing. just going to throw it out there, guys. That the, the song that Ella is saying didn't really appear in her head having watched all of Game of Thrones is The Reigns of Castamere. And here it is, just so she can hear it again. And who are you, the proud Lord said, that I must bow so low? Only a cat of a different coat, that's all the truth I know. And a coat of gold, a coat of red, a lion still has claws. And mine are long and sharp, my lord, as long and sharp as yours. And so he spoke, and so he spoke, that lord of Castamere. But now the rains weep o'er his heart with no one there to hear yes now the rains 
did you not pick up on that as being the main Lannister theme tune throughout the entire show, Ella? Come on. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Explain yourself. uh, Did the Red Wedding mean nothing to you? No, 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 the Red Wedding. I mean, like, but again, the the showdown in the Red Wedding stayed in my mind. Like, the brutalness, the killing. Oh, so you're going to tell me that you were distracted by all the killing going on and weren't listening to the music. I did not put two and two together. I mean, to be until, fair, that's and, an entirely valid statement. Until I read into it. I mean, then I was just like, oh, so that's why Caitlin looks very weirdly at Bolton. And yeah. then when she, like, when they when the music first starts to play, like, once I did some more research, and I was just like, oh, and then I rewatched the episode, I was like, oh, that's why she looks a little bit, like, she shifts her and she looks a bit anxious and worried. I was like, mm. because obviously the, it's the Lannisters sort of theme. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently, well, did you know that the first time the song is heard is when Tywin uh, Tyrion Lannister whistles it in a small part in season two, episode one? I did not, but it doesn't surprise me at all. That's a fact. Yeah, there we go. That is a fact, people. You can bet your house on it. <laughs> the, the main times that I remember it being introduced was uh, season two, episode nine. With Bronn. When uh, Bronn sings it. Yeah. Bronn, who is famous in England as a singer. Is that right? I, I don't know. What, okay, the, what, fine. The, what Ju- the, the actor or the character? Yeah, no, the, the, the actor. Jerome Flynn with Robson Green. They released a version of Unchained Melody, which stayed at number one <gasps> in the UK charts for seven weeks. Oh my God, is that him? Yeah, so the original <gasps> Unchained Melody is The Righteous Brothers, but then he with Robson Green did a yeah, version yeah, yeah, which yeah. made number one in the 90s. I know, I know, but I'm just remembering because, oh my God, that's him. Oh my God, that's how, that's how he aged. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And they also had two further number one singles, I believe, and What Becomes of the Broken Hearted. Um, and then, huh. obviously, uh, he introduced the uh, the words to the Reigns of Castamere. To <laughs> Fair enough. To Game of Thrones audiences. Okay, so then. So th- the dude can sing. Yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. But he's aged very badly, though. Yes, hard living. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, though. But um, that's why I was a bit shocked, thinking, oh, my God, that's him. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I mean, I mean, I liked actually the Cigaros version okay. because it has a very Celtic sort of funeral-like quality yeah. to it. That I was just like, and you know, you have a hint of um, right at the beginning of the track where he had Cigaros uh, sings his signature style of like really high-pitched, almost nonsensical, quite ethereal, yeah. um, ooh, whatever he does, and then he mm-hmm. goes into this uh, the more so I get like I said like a Celtic way of like singing the lyrics and you hear his tone and he hear him the sing the melody and it's just yeah obviously now when I hear it in the Red Wedding I can it's kind of like a premonition of like what's to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of what are, you, are we discussing how well it is embedded into the yeah. Into the show in general, like how 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 well is it used as a song in the show? 
for me, I think it's really good that like the way that it's shown as like a like it's something that the Lannisters kind of whistle and, and stuff, and then it's a thing that the Lannister troops sing before the battle because like this is this is us, this is how badass we are, and then the way it's used there in the Red Wedding, and that I feel that for for like a folk song that is completely new. Like the words, as I understand, the words are in the books, but Ramin was told you have to go off and write this as as a as a folk song. Yeah, he has managed to somehow write a very kind of old school English sounding folk song that doesn't that it sounds realistic, and yet doesn't feel too ancient. Like, you know, it's not. Yeah, but and also doesn't feel like it's a total ripoff of Greensleeves no, either. Like exactly. it, it still feels like its own thing, and it's very distinctive. Once you do get in on it, I gather you didn't pick it up to start with, but once you do hook into, that's what it sounds like. Every time you hear it, like oh, that's that's that theme. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. Like it, it has, a, it blends very well with sort of the ancient and the new compared to. Jerry Goldsmith's when he, he when he composes um Lily's song. I mean that's really taking it overly traditional. Yeah. Okay. And, and that, that went too far. And yeah. too it was boring. This one, like this is what I'm saying, is that it, it kinda it takes elements of the traditional and the, it takes it rem- reminiscence of the past, but it has a sort of a modern twist to it. Shall we move on to American Gods? Yeah, let's. And so the song here is called In the Pines. And we first hear it towards the end of episode one at Laura's funeral. My girl, my girl, don't lie to me. Tell me where did you sleep last night? In the pines, in the pines. Well, the sun never shines We'll shiver the whole night through My daddy was a railroad man Killed a mile and a half from here Found in a driver's wheel His body has never been found In the pines, in the pines Where the sun never shines Will shiver the whole night through It's uh, very quite heavy. Yes. And uh, so it's a real song. It's a real song that pre-exists American Gods. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know if you necessarily remember this, but I. So I had to be reminded of it. The first time I had really heard or been aware of this song was from the Nirvana MTV Uncut concert. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I remember seeing that, but I don't remember them seeing playing that song. I remember they did um, David Bowie's um, 
Oh, what's the name of it? Something about like the man rules the world or something like that. Okay. Yeah, the man who ruled the world. Yeah, the man who ruled the world. Yeah. They did that one. Yeah, they did a number of covers and bits and pieces, and it was only a few weeks before Cobain killed himself, so it's like a huge thing in the early '90s. In that concert, this song is called "Where Did You Sleep Last Night," so it kind of uses one of the other lines as the as the title. So, but basically, it's, it's it's an old folk song. Nobody particularly knows what it's about, but it's about probably a woman who's gone off and done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And so, it obviously is pretty darn perfect for this. I, the game, the American Gods uses a lot of contemporary music in this way, and sometimes mm. it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I just feel there are certain songs that were just put in there just for the sake of it. Like I didn't feel like it drove. Okay. And do you think this is one of those or? I don't say I think it's one of those, but it was, I think what's interesting about American Gods is that it does use a lot of American style, old school music from yeah, the West. Yeah, it goes into the folk songbook. Yeah, yeah. To somehow connect to the fact that, you know, these are immigrant type alien gods in America and tying in with them. Yeah, I think it tries to weave its events into the sort of like the tapestry of American history. So it sort of uses these songs to ground itself. And also I guess because the location of where um, Laura is buried, because it's it's one of those like old sort of like towns. It's not in the urban city. So no. Yeah. So, I mean, those type of songs would have been probably still performed in their local pubs. Anyway, so mm-hmm. it kind of again it kind of reflects the the, the scene, setting the setting exactly you know and that sort of white trash type of sensibility mm-hmm. which is one thing that obviously Laura hated and wanted to get away with and her sort of arc I guess you know mm. so and the music the song has that sort of draining element it's not an easy listen I don't no. think. Purely because of the the, vo- the voice and the tone, which again has that sort of Johnny Cash um, tone to it, and I, I find Johnny Cash with some of his songs, especially when they are more of a ballad or that sort of slow tempo, it can be quite heavy, and mm-hmm. you know, you it takes you definitely into a mood. I I really like it. I like this. I like when American Gods does this. I like this tying everything into this Americana backwards feel um because it is so much of it is this sort of road movie sort of journey through america and it really helps sort of root it down into that in a way that using actual contemporary songs obviously wouldn't you exactly you said exactly what i was trying to say earlier (laughs) (laughs) you basically summarized it that Oh, well, thank you for, for lining it up for me. <laughs> oh, no, Holly, this is what I'm saying. It's like, I sometimes I find it really difficult to articulate myself of what I'm trying to say. I just keep it far too simple, whereas you just put it into... It's like... Equate it all. That's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, but in terms of the winner, in terms of which one you felt worked best, is this an obvious one? Uh, it's not obvious, to be honest, because I actually find In the Pines incredibly effective mm-hmm. as a song. And it does actually come back in season two as well um, as, a, as a track. So it, it is reused, but it's hard to compare it to how The Reigns of Castamere is used across um, Game of Thrones in so many ways. Yeah, and I think the element of the history of it as well, I think the fact mm-hmm. that the the title is meant to be 
is referring to a part of the of Lannister's history that predates the books. Yeah, that's Game of Thrones at its best, actually. That's when it feels, oh, wow, I'm part of something huge. Exactly. And that's when you feel most connected. And you're right. I, I'm completely agreeing with you. And I like that, and this is where it gets a little bit ironic, because I love the fact that in American Gods, they're literally doing that, but into the real world, which feels like it should be even better, but it just doesn't quite work as well. No. So, yeah, that's a win for Game of Thrones. All right, so moving on to round four. Musical storytelling. So here we're talking about long sequences of of a TV show that are sort of told with a heavy musical backing. Now, in both of these cases, we're talking about sequences that are like 10 minutes long. So we're not going to be able to play the full tracks. But I would encourage you to probably go off and have a listen to them independently after after we've had a good chat about them. Because they are... You're not going to have to hear the whole thing to understand what we're saying, but they're, they're definitely interesting. True, but you do have to watch it with the actual visuals, like with the scenes. Yeah. You, like It's one thing yes. listening to it on its own, but the impact and what we're going to be discussing, it, it will fall flat if you don't watch it with the actual scenes. Absolutely. So let's start off with Game of Thrones. And one of the real sort of highlight superstar tracks from from the entire game of thrones soundtrack light of the seven which comes from season six episode 10 in an episode at the beginning of an episode where cersei does her big kind of uh what i like to describe fuck as a godfather moment fuck you yeah <laughs> <laughs> where she uh basically uh blows everybody up and uh declares herself queen yep. <laughs> and here it is Yeah, so obviously this is the first time that we hear the piano and apparently it was, like, as I mentioned before, that this 
I do remember this sequence and also I remember the because it's meant to be very similar to a different one but this is the first time where we hear the piano and it's meant to get the mm -hmm. audience to pay attention to what is going on in the scene and the fact that something is going to go down and for the first time so you were saying earlier that you didn't particularly pick up on a lot of the music in this show did that work for you did it, it did, make you stand up and notice but because okay. it was the piano because like you know all the other scenes all the other times the music was very in tune and blended well with the sort of the setting um of where the locations were based on you know it was very medieval it was very exotic you know so mm -hmm. it kind of mm -hmm. it blended more into the background whereas with this like for the first thing you hear like piano there was no piano in the medieval times like what is this and the fact that it was almost like a music video whereby it was just it the music was driving the scene and the action and creating the suspension and and there was hardly any dialogue there was like a few dialogues but yeah, it was nothing nothing really yeah substantial like there wasn't any clues to what was actually going to be going down so and the music the fact that it was so simple like the full note motif is great and how it carries so much weight of sadness and this ambiguity and like the pacing of the piano notes is interesting as well how that there's different like how with the pauses in between the notes gives it more than like an uneasy feeling mm -hmm. you know it draws parallels with the other piano led track you know with the, the the night king as well and the last season um season eight episode three and you know again like i say it builds tension it has the added game of thrones theme in there as well i think when the organ comes in there's a hint of it to symbolize i think for me, like maybe for me, it was almost like to symbolise all the characters um, in the who were in the Red Keep that this is their finale, or it could also mean that what Cersei is planning to do is going to affect the rest of the characters of mm -hmm. the series. So this is a very pivotal moment that you can't um, miss. Yep. So yeah. Uh, just uh, it's a great track I love it it's just it's so haunting it's just really like oh oh my god mm -hmm. it's like okay how about you so it's finally happened we completely and utterly disagree <laughs> I absolutely hate this track oh like with an extraordinary passion Ooh. I despise this track Ooh. <laughs> that's Okay, interesting. <laughs> oh my god, like stop the press. We disagree. Yep. Okay, this is we gonna, disagree. This is gonna be like a verbal fight now. Really, tell me what's wrong with you, Chris Tristan? It's that damn piano and the pipe organ. The piano, it sounds so modern, it sounds so cheesy, oh it's so god. schmaltzy, it is over the top. It is so ridiculous. What? It just dragged me out of the world entirely. I was like, oh, oh no, I'm I'm not I'm not there anymore. Oh, this, you, is, this is just happening. So now. you would have just... preferred it to be in your, the typical sort of cello bass 100% because it just it completely dragged I wasn't watching the same show anymore I just felt like I'm watching something completely different this is wrong <laughs> this isn't right it's like when somebody has just like slapped another soundtrack over the top of a scene that you've seen a million times you're just like oh well, this is kind of cool this way but it's not Star Wars anymore like you know like it's just it's so freaking weird and it is so wrong and it sounds terrible and it's disgusting I just I cannot stand it even on and its then, own on its own, it is a very, like, over-the-top, stupid piece of music <laughs> that, I can, that I cannot get behind. It's just so 
corny by itself. It only mm-hmm. gets meaning with the scene, and it ruins the scene. <laughs> So yeah, I re- I really hate, and the pipe organ doesn't help it at all I mean, either. I, 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 the pipe organ. I agree. Also that, that's the only thing I agree with is that I didn't understand the purpose <laughs> of the organ coming in. I felt like that really detached me from the piece. <laughs> yeah. And um, but then I kind of looked at oh, because it was when that Pisil was dying, was being killed by the mob of kids. So that was meant to maybe mm. represent the whole mm-hmm. sort of religious element of you know. Mm. Um. So, but I felt like okay, that could have you could have done without the organ. Yeah. Um, but that was the only thing that kind of stood out to me that I didn't like. But overall, I was just like, okay, that's good. I, I, I like it. It's catchy. I like the piece. To, to, to me, I like the full note motif. I just felt like it was very simple. It was very like, yeah. it was cool. If it had been on cello, it would have been fine. It's just like, it's because, so to me, this is the moment where the show, the show kind of like lost its internal logic and it started being like just meta rather than just a show in and of itself it just it felt like this piece is screaming guys look we're having a moment now you've got to like take us seriously like we're doing a thing just watch us do a thing it didn't feel like this character is doing something it felt like the show is doing something and that just felt so wrong and it just it it's such a Godfather ripoff. It's just it, it is it's just Corleone. Not, not and just like, the Godfather. Like I've seen those type of montages in like Elizabeth as well. The same thing yeah. in other movies, like those type of um where, uh, like you have the main character kind of killing off, giving the, the ki- giving the order for these the rivals to be killed off. It's just it's a, I know it's mm. it's a cliche in the way in it's in the way it's been shot. Yeah. But in particular, it's the god. It's that particular Godfather scene because of the pipe organ, because it's doing that religious thing, and it's like and the you choir, don't need, I guess, and the boy and choir. The choir. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like you don't need to go to this movie from the '70s to get a like a musical language to communicate sinister plots. Like this show had already had six full seasons of music to like accompany sinister plots it already had its own language that worked and we all knew and was effective and why change it like i said i think it worked for this episode i don't think it worked well for um the night king because oh yeah i hated it even more with the night yeah i just (laughs) don't even get me started with that (laughs) (laughs) but like i just felt like it's one of those silly things where films like particularly with sequel films that are sequels where they do where they try Mm -hmm. and reintroduce what was popular and what gained people's like attention and people really liked in the first film and they reintroduce it again in the second film like the same format and you just feel like why are you rehashing it why yeah yeah and i feel like that's what they did with the night king because there was like a big not 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 backlash i think majority you're a minority tristan okay not many i am i know i am (laughs) no people adore this piece of music and they're all wrong yeah i'm I'm sorry (laughs) if you've ever written about the oh oh my god this is so beautiful how could a human write this it's like because a computer could write this because it is just schmaltzy crap (laughs) but yeah Okay. I feel strongly about this. I know, one. I know, I can hear it. You're going on a big tyrant there, Tristan. <laughs> it's because we finally had one. Uh, the, the people, the people deserve this. <laughs> they, they deserve us to have an argument, right? Yeah. We're yeah, standing but, our ground, saying no, I'm right or wrong. I'm smart, you're dumb, they, that sort of thing. Yeah, they've been listening to a good 16, 17 <laughs> hours of this show, being like, at some point, one of these two is going to blow their top, and it's probably going to be Ella. So they're going to be really enjoying this. <laughs> well, like I said, so. <laughs> I, I liked it. It kind of made me pay attention. That's fair enough. That's clearly what it is designed to All do. the things that you didn't like, it was done deliberately. 
Yeah. And I think for you, because you... That's what makes it worse. Yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> no, no, but like, no, but like, I agree. No, you're completely right. It's, it's, there is a it logic that- behind it, which I understood. You probably just yes. don't agree with that logic. You just feel like, why can't you just carry on as the way you were doing? It was fine. Just do like a Bravos sort of like thing mm-hmm. like you did with Arias thing. Just carry on. Like, keep it, yeah. keep, keep it medieval, man. Exactly. Exactly. And there's a very good, um, for people who maybe agree more with Ella, there's a very good um, article on Verve, I think, which went down, which went through this track because like section by section explained what everything's doing. And yes, there is an internal logic with how they're doing it. And it kind of makes sense. And I can see why they made the decisions. I just, as me, believe that every one of those decisions is wrong. But that is just me. Yes, Tristan, <laughs> just friends. you. Yeah, of course, we're <laughs> still friends. <laughs> Okay, but anyways, yeah, moving on to the American Gods. <laughs> yes. And so the uh, this track that we're listening here is called They Hear. Finale. Okay, so for me, this track, um, it felt a tad disjointed. Yeah. Um, when Wednesday goes through his various names, like Daenerys, Strongborn mm. of the House, Targaryen, First Day, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because he basically has his moment. He does, um, yeah. For me, yeah. It, I am this, the hanged yeah. man, I am Odin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it falls flat. Oh, and okay. I was not in awe. And I was just kind of like, because this is meant to be the pivotal moment of like season's finale of him finally saying, I am a god, Shadow. Yeah. Okay, because before. Yeah, because it's been mysterious. Yeah, because before yeah. he kind of played it down, he was just kind of like, oh no, it's just in your head. It's kind of like, you know, you're just seeing things. And like he. But this is his full blown to be like, hey, this is who I am. This is me and my full on glory, as they say. And I don't get his glory. I get what you're saying. It does fall a little bit flat. For what is kind of like the big reveal. Yeah, it wasn't epic it's enough. It's not all that. No. But then when Astara has her moment with the music, mm. I found that far more interesting. Albeit it goes a little bit more Hollywood, like almost like Disney-like, you know, with the woodwinds and the strings. And it's yeah, all very whimsical. that's kind of the point, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. And there was a little bit of Mickey Mouse and when she takes spring back and everything kind of dies all around her and you mm-hmm. see the, um, the foliage, the the plants yeah. going back into the ground and everything. Um, but I felt more of an impact there. Um, yeah, I also liked the bit about two minutes in where World turns up with his backup dancers. Yeah. 
<laughs> like the little the jaunty backup dancer thing i think that was kind of fun yeah that was cool yeah again but this is what i mean where it felt quite disjointed whereby a lot of things were happening as you say when the the goons or whatever you want to call them then they yeah. start going into the sort of like a hip-hop sort of like where they circle a star and they're kind of doing this little like little choreograph circling her and the music yeah. is quite modern and yeah with the drum beat and it's a little bit more contemporary and then it didn't just didn't go anywhere yeah i see what you're saying um the disjointedness i kind of in a weird way like in that so to me what this scene is that it's this rather complicated scene because you've got all of these different gods suddenly kind of converging on one another yeah and kind of revealing each other and revealing what they've done what the new gods did for the old gods because like you finally get an idea that why astara was able to survive is because she got involved she took, she made a she deal. Made Easter. Yeah, she made a yeah. deal with the new media in order to survive and everything. And all these kind yeah. of like little revelations kind of you get explained as to what what is going yeah. on. Um, but but I like how because everybody's got this very different backstory by this point. Everyone's been introduced separately. Well, not a star, not as much, but everyone's been introduced separately. I like how this track kind of meanders its way through everybody's sound in a little bit. a little bit here a little bit there which i get is disjointed but it's also the scene is disjointed the music is actually the the attempt to tapestry them all together Mm. and it's a bit of a hodgepodgey tapestry but it's much less hodgepodgey than this scene would have been without the music because the music does actually bind them together into something resembling a cohesive musical narrative so I, i give it some credit for that while acknowledging it is disjointed yeah so, but then for you, who's the winner? Uh, should I even Obviously. should I even bother asking? <laughs> I mean, we could have literally put, I think, any piece of music from any game, movie, or TV show, except for the one from the Night King episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have been a tough call. Anything else ever, and I would have gone for that over Light of the Seven. So yes, I'm going for. <laughs> What was it called? They're here for now. Yeah, that one. <laughs> the, the one that's not the Light of the Seven. Right. Anything but the Light of the Seven. Fine. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> I'm going to go for Light of the Seven. <laughs> I thought you might. Yeah. Take that. <laughs> We're all going to go up and cool down for a moment. <laughs> and we'll be right back with round five. <laughs> all right. Round five. Legacy. We have uh, we've made it. We have settled our differences. Yeah. We have made it. Yeah, we, are, we made it into we, are, we, we made are, it in one piece. Yeah. <laughs> so, legacy of Game of Thrones. Well, what do we reckon? Well, I mean, obviously, Game of Thrones has more volume since it's been around yes. since 2011. Yeah. Yeah. So many covers has been done of that main theme, and there's been parodies. Exactly. You know, and as you said, as we were talk, talking earlier, Raman as a, a composer, he's done many films, are not all successful. As you said, he did mm. Iron Man, he did Clash of the Titans remake, he did Pacific Rim as well, and mm, so right. TV show wise, he's done obviously Game of Thrones, Black Blade series, which we did last episode last month. Oh. Yeah. Okay. No, because it was a TV show for Blade uh, in the mid mid. I was not familiar with that. Mm. There we go. And he obviously did Westworld as and well, Westworld. which is amazing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think he's. We'll do that one day on this show, I'm sure. Oh yeah, definitely. I think so. He's made a good name for himself in the TV show sort of music composition. Um, mm-hmm. He's rising in the ranks, I'd say. 
I think mainly because of Game of Thrones, to a lesser extent, Westworld, he is very much, he's one of those names where he's actually a composer that when you say, oh, this composer is doing the music for this, people actually stand up and notice. Particularly at something like, I don't know, like Comic-Con has been on in the last week. Yeah, and he's quite young as well, which I know we don't we don't always talk about age and stuff, but I think he, he's in his 40s, whereas Brian Wrightso is yeah. in his late, he's in his sort of like early 50s. I know we don't really talk about yeah. age and stuff and that shouldn't really yeah. be relevant, but... That matters, it, yeah. But, you know, the fact that... He, He's maybe because he's a prodigy, as we said earlier, he's a bit of a prodigy from Hans Zimmer, so he's kind of gone onto that bandwagon. He's had the backing of Hans Zimmer mm. and had the contacts in that in a sense yep. and, and the experience. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of it's he's he's had a very good career so far, and as this, and yep. as he's quite young still, he's it's suddenly going to get better. I think. Yep. Um, yep. Which I think I feel with Brian, I feel that he's a bit, he's one of those underrated composers. Like when you look at his sort of background, not background, but if you look at what all the like um, body of work that he's done, it's not as much though, which mm. is a shame. I mean, I think and what I like about the American Gods soundtrack is that it has more of a unique, it's for me, it's more unique and it has, the music has given it. It gave it more of a solid identity, but per yep. episode, not as a whole soundtrack, which is what maybe Game of Thrones does. Is much mm. the Game of Thrones is much more as a cohesive album because of the instrumentation that's probably used. But American Gods, what I like about it is, it's a per it's a per episode you get something of a real variety. Um, so I would I would give it weight for that essence if we were just purely talking about TV shows, but I think because American Gods is still very new, it's still got four more seasons to go. Whether it's going to be a success, I don't know, but okay. I think from the music side, is going strength to strength. Okay. You? Okay, so I'll, I'll run through both as as you did. Um, so I think, yeah, so Game of Thrones, you're quite right. Like, it had that kind of huge pop culture thing with all the covers and the memes and stuff. I don't think it took terribly long for Game of Thrones to get to that point. It may not have been after season one, but certainly after season two and three, it had that impact. Um, so it's not like, uh, it, you know, it's only because it's had eight seasons that it has that impact. It, it picked it up pretty quickly. The other thing we didn't actually get to, I mean, the, the, looking just when we were sort of researching for the show, like... We didn't even get to talk about my three favourite actual themes from Game of Thrones. Like, there are so many good themes in Game of Thrones that were, you know, I would have loved to squeeze into this episode, but we can't. So I'm going to, um, I'll mention them now and I'll put them in the show notes. Um, but like the, the Stark theme, Goodbye Brother, that's an amazing theme. Um, possibly my favourite, uh, actually, though, is Peter Baelish's theme, that Chaos is a Ladder. It's a really really clever sinister kind of a theme and even Daenerys's theme which uh from the season six album uh the winds of winter it's it's beautiful like it has so much good music in it it's probably outside of the like it's not quite at the level of either Wagner's ring cycle or um Howard Shaw's Lord of the Rings soundtracks but it's it's up there in terms of just the size of what it has 
um, in turn, and the complexity that had to be achieved to, to get all of these themes, bring them back, have variations of them, use them in all these different ways. It's an extraordinary project in and of itself. How much of a legacy does that have? Well, it leaves a lot of music behind. Will other things copy it? Yes, they will, but they won't be copying Game of Thrones. They'll be copying Wagner and The Lord of the Rings because they're the, the bigger things um, and certainly predate it significantly. But it's 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 in that pantheon as kind of like music for media goes. It's in that pantheon of big stuff. And that's a big deal for me, at least. American Gods... So, I thought when I first saw American Gods, because you and I first watched it kind of when it first came out. You saw it a bit before me, but, like, you saw it, like, kind of, oh, must have been almost the week it came out. Yeah. I watched it a couple of weeks later. And I remember I, I remember I was talking about the main title for American Gods, saying how much yeah. I enjoyed it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's when we were first deciding to do this as a podcast. Yeah. We were like, oh, my God, we could talk about things like that. Yeah. Um, exactly. Like, it's a big deal. And... I remember thinking when I first saw it, of, oh, okay, like this actually could be something that we're about to see a lot of, right? Like it, it felt like this kind of bold, brash style could really come into fashion because it's it's really effective. Mm. And it, like it came also off the back of things like The Night Manager, which had a similar kind of a thing. Like it felt like, oh, this is the trend. This is going to be the trend. I feel like, if anything, TV's gone away from it though. Um, when you look at like the big series that just finished, Chernobyl, um, it went completely the other way with the really minimalist uh, Icelandic kind of a sound. Mm. Um, so I don't know if it will have the impact that I thought it was going to have. And as I said a moment ago, like the fact that as a series it's had some problems in season two is going to hurt. Like it looked like it could be one of those huge juggernauts that everyone had to copy because, oh, my God, it worked for them. They made so much money. Give me a series that looks like that. I thought that's what this was going to wind up being, but I don't think it is. But the music is um, still consistent, though. The music is still good, and the music is still consistent. I'm just trying to think, is this, like, going to herald a whole bunch of new things that are going to try and copy it? I don't know if it will. But I think, um, well, for me, I think it will influence my way of writing into exploring different instruments and how they can be played. Because, like I said, the one thing I, that I do remember distinctly when I was watching the series was the use of the trumpet, how... Mm. I'm just just, just, I was actually trying to imagine how do they get that sound, that weird sort of bend of the trumpet tone. A mute. Yeah, yeah. I know mute, but even just like there was something, it was different to your usual jazz way of playing the trumpet. There was something yeah. quite unique about it. It made it sound, it gave it its own sort of animal, animalistic yep. quality to it. I it completely just, agree. And look, I am never going to be the person disagreeing with a, a show that shows you new orchestration techniques. Like, if if that if, if it has that effect on you, then that is amazing. So, yeah, I, I would agree that that is quite powerful. So, I mean, for me, that's why, weirdly enough, I, as a legacy for me, I would actually go for American Gods, even though it hasn't had that much impact yet. But the, the impact of the music left more for me which is why i wanted to talk about it include it you know because we could have easily talked about game of thrones versus what was it black sales or something like that yeah yeah some other big series that had finished yeah, yeah. but there's something about the music of american gods you can't forget it no i agree it, it does have that sense of uh, as as i was saying like when we were first having the idea of having a podcast it was one of the ones in the foreground because it's like 
I want to talk about this. It's so interesting that I want to talk about it. I want to think about it more because it's it's intriguing. Mm. Now you've made my decision tough. <laughs> Look, no, I'm going to go with Game of Thrones because there's... <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Another disagreement. Because there's, yeah, there's just so few things that get to be in that scale of hundreds of themes and developments and motifs and stuff that, yeah, I can't, I can't ignore it. So I'm going to go that way, but I see where you're coming but from. I get it. But again, I feel like I might be wrong, but I feel like a lot of people, the majority, remember the main theme, remember the Light of the Seven and the Night yeah. King. But everything else, all the other tracks, not, not so much. I would add Reigns of Castamere to that list. Okay, yeah. But I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I do. In fact, it's an interesting exercise. There are some people out there on YouTube that have, um, not me, sadly, but who have done things where they actually have assembled all of the, the themes mm-hmm. onto a single thing. So you can kind of, you can watch them, you can have them on the background and then, like, they, they will show on the actual video, like, whose theme this is. And it's actually a fun exercise to be like, oh, like, maybe listen to it, but use another tab or something and be like, oh, who, who does this theme belong to? And then flick across and, like, test yourself. Because I agree, like, even for myself, like, I love the process that he's done, but it isn't as effective as, say, Wagner or, to most people, be more easily to recognise Lord of the Rings, where Lord of the Rings, I think, pretty quickly you know exactly whose theme is whose. There's not much confusion even for a fairly casual film goer. Um, would, you, would you agree with that? Like, you feel pretty grounded on oh yeah this is definitely the hobbit's theme or this is definitely the fellowship i'm not really in um no i'm not really into the lord of the rings to be honest oh okay there we go so maybe that didn't have that effect but yeah i i I don't think it is as clear and as obvious i don't think it it marks it quite as well anyway so then who is the winner then yes unfortunately for you i have to say that the winner is game of thrones Oh no, I'm not surprised. It's not unfortunate. Yeah. But vote by seven to three. Yeah. Uh, it's actually relatively close. No, it's seven to three. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Are you counting right? True. Seven to three. Yeah. Okay. If you said like what six to five, then fine. But seven to three. Come on. But yeah, so it's, that's that's a win to Game of Thrones. Which look, I comes from the fact that it has that strong main yeah. theme and it has a large body of work to fall back exactly, on. Exactly. Which is given. We accept. Fine. End of the story. But but I'm very glad we talked about American Gods because you're right. Like, it is so interesting. It's just rich. And so different. And rich. And rich. That's what I have to say, just rich. Now, do you agree at home? <laughs> <laughs> you can agree or disagree with all sorts of things we've said today. I suspect you agree with or you have a strong opinion on at least one of our rounds. My, my, I, I, I'm right. <laughs> right into at Tristella Music on Tristan doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> It's clearly lost on whatever his social media that you like <laughs> and uh, write your support for either of us, probably mainly Ella, but write your support for others. Maybe you too have been the only person in your group of friends who was like, you know what, that Light of the Seven track isn't all it's cracked up to and be. I'm not a fan. And he's no longer part, or he or she is no longer part of that group of friends now. He's been <laughs> kicked, off the, kicked out of the circle. Yes, if you too were no longer invited <laughs> to Game of Thrones parties after from season seven onwards uh but be sure to write in and share your experiences for our next episode we are gonna have a special guest who that special guest you'll have to wait and listen 
But the two films and scores that we'll be discussing next month will be... Howard Shaw's music for The Lord of the Rings. Versus... At least some of the music from Harry Potter series. I haven't decided exactly how much yet. It'll at least be the John Williams stuff from early on and we'll see if we wind up including some of the later mm. stuff. I think. I think we'll be probably basic because based on our guests, they are more familiar with the first film. So it'll probably it'll be easier to okay. maybe discuss the Harry Potter... The John Williams. Yeah, Harry Potter, Philosopher of the Stone versus um, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Ring. Um, but we, we can touch on about other tracks in between. Make, give them a few mentions as and well. And we will, I'm sure. Um, but until then, see you next yeah. time. Goodbye. Bye. Yeah. The lion in the rose, breakers of the chains, sport of the Lord, war of five kings, lowers of the rock, sitting on the iron throne, betrayal, revenge, murder now is mine's gone. The trial about to happen, he smiled while he cracking, for real, cause he ready for that action. Rich, wealthy, and sinister, welcome to the house of the Lannister. Son of thy lord, swing my sword, serving the war. We got the power, seven kingdoms strong. Welcome to the house of the Lannister. Son of thy lord, swing my sword, serving the war. He won this town, king with the crown. Go against Joffrey and he cut your ass down. So sick, but it's like shit. Dead payers pay your dues or you will get dealt with. So much to see, blood in the streets. Incest laying with your blood in the sheets. Pop it, drop it like the winner leaves. Honor, not much amongst these thieves. The lion in the rose, fragrance of the chains. Sport of the Lord, war five kings. Lords of the rock, sitting on the iron throne. Betrayal, revenge, murder now his mind's gone. The trial about to happen, he smiled while he cracking. For real, cause he ready for that action. Rich, wealthy, and sinister. Welcome to the house of the Lannister. Son of thy lord, swing my sword, serving the war. We got the power, seven kingdoms strong. Welcome to the house of the Lannister. Son of thy lord, swing my sword, serving the war. We got the power, seven kingdoms strong. Son of thy lord, swing my sword, serving the war. We got the power, seven kingdoms strong. Welcome to the house of the Lannisters.